What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode, we're going to overreact to preseason games. It's just the right thing to do. The Blazers have played the Kings twice, both at the Moda Center to open their preseason schedule. And y'all, it's time to overreact. Let us draw sweeping conclusions from exhibition games, things that we definitely will not regret believing strongly once the season starts here in less than two weeks, nine days away from from tip-off. But within these overreactions, within these sweeping conclusions from, from the first two preseason games, I want to talk about Harry Giles, the darling of the first two Blazers preseason games and a no doubt fan favorite for the way he's played during exhibition season. I want to talk about what he, what we've seen from him and where he can get on the court when the games really matter. I want to talk about the new guys, our first look at Derek Jones Jr. and Robert Covington and the return of folks like Rodney Hood to the court, Yusuf Nurkic to the Moda Center, and Carmelo Anthony to a bench role. I want to talk about all those things. But let's start here in the first segment with Harry Giles. If this is your first Lockdown Blazers, I realize every Lockdown Blazers is someone's first Lockdown Blazers. But we do things here in three parts. We try to keep it organized, coming at you at least thrice a week and often more. But we try to break up the topics a little bit so we're not all over the map. Preseason is easily, uh, it's the scatterpaint of, uh, of, of NBA games. I have, a, I have a lot of stray thoughts. None of them, uh, none of them strongly held. But we'll get to the stray thoughts a little bit uh, later in the show. Let's start here with with Harry Giles' talk. Giles has been the unquestioned star of the Blazers' first two preseason games, and that's just because he's looked really, really solid. And if you're a longtime listener to this podcast, you know that I am very resistant to look at box scores for games that don't count. I'm already not a big recap preview guy. I think the NBA season is too long and it's better to understand team via sort of trends than it is to narrow in on a game that will quickly pass by when you play four times a week in a typically 82 game season, but still 70 games is a lot. 72 games is a ton. So I'm I'm never really one to hammer on box score stuff, but Harry Giles box scores just, it's just, it deserves the read. So in game one, Blazers won Friday night against the Kings. Harry Giles in 25 minutes off the bench. 18 points, 14 boards, three steals, two blocks, and an assist. Blazers lost their second game. And in that one, Giles even better. 19 points, 13 boards, three dimes, two steals, and a block shot. Played 26 minutes with six for 11 from the floor in the second game against the Kings. There's nothing, the, the I mean, the box score is, is pretty, and I guess if you're into um, statistical symmetry, he did have two double-doubles, but I don't think the box score really does it justice. Giles just does so much stuff. In game one, we saw him, uh, you know, beat guys off the dribble and take, you know, if uh, with Rashawn Holmes on him, just take Holmes from the top of the key and rack him, dunk, drive left and dunk. He was, you know... Uh, cutting inside and finishing, uh, working that top of the key. The Blazers run a couple sets where the center gets a touch uh, above the three-point line at the top of the key, and Giles really worked those sets really well, has a great feel for the game. He got out in transition. He made little hustle plays, particularly in garbage time of the first game, just hustle plays to get the ball back and and, and got out for a dunk. In game two, uh, even more of the repertoire on display. Late in the game, splashed um, some shooting range, hit a, hit a long mid-range jumper in the top of the key three. Had had again some more hustle plays. 
a couple good passes um, that didn't lead to assists that aren't in the box score, but he, you know, it's he he checks a lot of boxes. He's big. He plays hard. He's got good shooting touch. He can handle the ball a little bit. He's got a really good feel for the game. He is incredibly fun. There is no doubt about it that the, after the first two games, the most fun player on the Blazers roster is the fourth-year minimum center they signed after the Sacramento Kings didn't pick up his option. They said, we're cool with this guy who was a former first-round pick. And man, beyond that, a former phenom. Like, Giles was the number one recruit in his, in his high school class as a junior before uh, his knee injuries kind of derailed his career and he played limited minutes at Duke and all that. But like this, Giles is someone who was on... Uh, my radar as a teen he was just he was a an absolute phenom and he hasn't been able to stay healthy and get on the court but through two preseason games with the Blazers his first in a Blazers jersey he looks so darn good undeniably good so good that we have to talk about how he's going to get on the court when the games matter so I think it's when you watch these games and I'm kind of judging this a little bit off my Twitter feed, which I know is not real life, but I think the assumption is this kid is so good. This dude is so good that he does that he has to play and they'll find minutes to play him. But I, I am having trouble as I sit here with my pen and paper, figuring out where Harry Giles plays. If he plays regular minutes, that is not to say he does not deserve to play. He is a rotation quality big, or at least through for two preseason games. He looks like a dude who could contribute to an NBA team every single night off the bench. No doubt about it. But let's just, let's just logic it out. And hopefully you can follow me on this journey. Yusuf Nurkic is going to play 28 to 30 minutes a night at center. I don't think I don't think below 28 is really reasonable. And quite frankly, the Blazers are doing a disservice to how good Yusuf Nurkic is if he plays less than 28 minutes a night. 30 minutes a night is really is like a really, really simple math. You play 15 minutes in each half. You that for Yusuf Nurkic, the first nine minutes of the first quarter, you rest until midway through the second quarter, you play the final six minutes of the half, you repeat that in the second half. That's clean 30 minutes. But let's even go a little conservative and say that. Uh, Nurk plays 28 minutes a night. That means there are 20 minutes remaining. And I am hard-pressed to think that a t- two 10-minute stretches for the Ennis Cantor, who, is a, who when they signed him here before, he immediately leapfrogs uh, Zach Collins in the, in the rotation. He was immediately the backup center. When they reacquired him, I, I believe wholeheartedly they reacquired him for, the ex- for that exact role. He is going to play a real role. 20 minutes a night for Ennis Cantor. That's 48 minutes of center minutes. And that's with, with the understanding that Nurk is going gonna, is gonna to play his, his regular minutes. If you, try to, if you try to pinch that a little bit and say, okay, well, so let's split the backup minutes between Giles and, and Cantor. I think that's hard to do because then you play... You play Cantor for five minutes and then yank him, and then you play Harry Giles five minutes and then yank him. It's just it's not quite enough time for a guy to to get in real rhythm. It's um it's just hard to play three bigs, hard to, or three centers rather. So I'm having a hard time unless Giles were to totally leapfrog Cantor, which early in the season I can't see that happening. I don't think Giles can play minutes at the five. Like, I just don't think they're available for him. Is he capable of it? Yes. But, like, is it realistically available? No. So let's slide down a spot. Power forward. Giles could conceivably play power forward. The Blazers are not afraid to play two big lineups. In fact, they went into last season planning to do that a ton. So you can imagine that they will they will not shy away from doing that again, right? Um, 
but Robert Covington's going to start at power forward. And he's going to play a bunch of minutes. You can imagine that Robert Covington, as uh, Neil Olshay has called him, our fourth best player, has a big minute, a big minute role. Like he he's going to play. So you pencil him in for thirty minutes. It could be even a handful more because of how valuable he is uh, defensively and just sort of as that complementary part. But let's say you you pencil in thirty minutes Robert Covington at power forward, or just thirty minutes for Covington in general. Then you bring in a guy off the bench named Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo is 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 a lock to play 20 minutes, if not a little bit more. So you can kind of mix and match a little bit and slide Covington down to the 3 to get him, you know, if you're if 22 minutes for Carmelo and 30 minutes for uh Robert Covington, obviously at some point they have to share the court and Covington has to play the 3, right? That's just we're doing we're just we're continuing on the math. But Neither of those, neither of those scenarios exactly have this sort of gaping hole for someone else to play power forward. And I am hard pressed to believe that there is a scenario in which Giles would would get on the court ahead of Covington or Anthony. So I'm not here just to rain all over your Harry Giles parade. In fact, he's he has been so fun that I I didn't I worried about maybe logicking out why I don't see him being in the regular rotation on day one because I didn't want to I don't want to bum y'all out dear listeners I want this to be a celebration two fantastic a weekend filled with Harry Giles highlights but I think it's a reality that early in the season he's not going to play and it'll be the first time in a long time where a 11th man on the Blazers roster is actually good enough to play and and there just aren't minutes for him. Now, there's a scenario where you find Giles some minutes in in replace of Rodney Hood and you just say, you know, Rodney, you were going to play th- these two 7-minute stretches tonight, but th- there was those aren't available for you cuz they're going to go to they're going to go to Harry Giles, but that would require probably moving pushing uh, Carmelo to the 3, something the Blazers have really really avoided and with good reason. It's just there's a numbers crunch right now, and it's going. It's impacting Giles for sure. Like it's he's really good and deserves to play, but it 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 might have to come at the expense of Cantor, and I think that we are that will have to come down the road. Um, it's not. I can't imagine that it comes prior to January first of this year. I'd be very surprised. Giles deserves to play, but the Blazers have finally built a roster where it's hard for good players to get on the court. Wow. Okay, that's enough Harry Giles talk for one episode. We will revisit this. This is a thing that's going to come up a bunch. I wanted to give you 10 minutes on this to start the show because I think it's, of anything we learned this weekend, it's the most interesting. This, we're going to, re, we're going to, ha, we're going to revisit the, where does Harry, where and how does Harry Giles play conversation again? I have no doubt about it. In the second segment, I got some more straight thoughts. I want to talk about the new guys, Derek Jones Jr., Robert Covington. We'll do that. But first, let's talk about Bill Barr. Y'all know Bilt Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. If you don't know Bilt Bar, let me tell you, it's the best tasting protein bar ever. Comes in 18 amazing flavors, all of which are covered in 100% real chocolate. It's soft and easy to chew. It's got that candy bar-like texture. If you have dabbled in the world of protein bars in the past, you know they can be chalky and dry and gross. Bilt Bar, not messing with chalky and dry and gross. They're, they're just making delicious bars. That's what the good people of Bilt Bar are doing. They're making delicious protein bars. But if the deliciousness isn't enough for you, what if I told you that they're all low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-in-fiber? Take, for instance, coconut almond. That's 18 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, and just 5 net carbs. It's a pretty good deal, pretty great taste. 
So get your hands on some of these bars. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. All right. If you're listening to this show late Sunday evening or on Monday morning, well then, Mailbag Monday is just a few hours away. Our weekly mailbag episode, we do it each week. I record it on Monday evenings. It posts on Tuesdays. If you want to get involved in that episode, just tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich, or send me an email, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Get involved with Mailbag Monday. It's a ton of fun. All right. In the first segment, we talked all about Harry Giles. A, a just a fantastic and tantalizing prospect, someone who was supposed to be an absolute stud in the league, who so far is an absolute stud in preseason. He was supposed to be a phenom at 17, and it's it's been a long journey there, including a whole redshirt year in the league, but you you get it. Giles looks good. He is fun. Um, he's the big winner of the Blazers' first two preseason games, but he wasn't the only one on the court, and that's what I want to talk about in the second segment. We got to look at some of the Blazers' new guys, including the new-look starting lineup in Game 2. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic did not play in the first preseason game. He was still going through... Uh, COVID protocol. Well, I guess he had passed through the protocol, but he just he hadn't he hadn't practiced, so they hadn't cleared him to play yet. No big deal. He played Sunday. He looked pretty good. Nurk, Nurk looked good on defense. A little sloppy and and uh, offensively moving the ball around, but uh, he's still giant. That hasn't changed. And as his touch uh, gets a little better with a little more seasoning, he's going to be back to being a really good player. Made some good plays on defense. I, this this podcaster not concerned about Nurk, but Nurk is. In some ways, a known quantity. Obviously, he's he's a young player who can get a lot better, and we will be closely following those improvements. But the, the sort of unknowns for this team were the new guys, the two new wings, small forward Derek Jones Jr. and power forward Robert Covington. Maybe we should just call them forward, forward Derek Jones Jr. and forward Robert Covington. I noticed, I noticed a couple times, particularly in game two, that in transition, they would freely change who they would guard. They just it, depending on how they would sprint back, if it was uh, Belitsa, was the you know is the four and Barnes is the three functionally for uh, Sacramento, but depending on where they got back, Jones Jr. would go one place and Covington would go the other place. Just kind of how how the transition defense worked, even though those weren't technically their primary assignments. So what do we see from the two new guys? Well, my number one takeaway about Derek Jones Jr. is that he's going to be a really valuable cutter as he gets more and more. Uh, more and more comfortable with how the Blazers sort of flow offense works. And I don't mean that the Blazers are going to run a lot of um, straight up plays for him. I think they'll run roughly zero every game for him. Maybe one. I feel like uh, I feel like Derek Jones Jr. is like very likely to get the first play of the game called for him. You know, the one that they script heading out, heading off the, you know, in the pregame locker room, they'll script a touch for Derek Jones Jr. But other than that, I, you know, he'll just, he'll get his points as, as, getting in where you fit in, but he's just the random cutting on the, on the, the first play of game one, uh, of against the Kings. He just had a random cut off of, uh, when Kander had it in the post and ended up scoring a layup. And I think it's just that random cutting in that athleticism, that burst is, uh, is really valuable. The other thing, my other takeaway from Derek Jones Jr. Is if you can bet on him setting a career high in three point attempts, pound the over. 
He set a career high in three-point attempts last season, in fact, with Miami Heat, taking 2.2 a game. He only played 25 minutes a night, so let's say his his role expands. He's just naturally going to pass that by virtue of playing more minutes on this team. But he was taking 3.5 per 36 with the Heat. That was career high as well last season. I'm taking the over on three and a half attempts a game. Like, I think Derek Jones Jr. is going to be getting four threes up, five threes up a game. I I know he's not a shooter, but the, you know, he's, he's below 30% for his career, right? He's just, he's just a bad outside shooter. But one of the things the Blazers do is they just say, we don't care about that. We need you to shoot. Here's the places you get you get shots in the offense. Go get these shots early in game one. Maybe the second play in game one. I don't think it was a. I don't think it was like a designed play, but just in the flow, he uh, Derek Jones Jr. got a little flare screen from Cantor and and hit a three kind of halfway on the move uh, early on in game two. Again, another he got another three on the move. Um, in the first game, I was watching the uh, the replay on ESPN, and Richard Jefferson says, I think that's a preseason shot, which I thought was pretty funny because, like, there's definitely a difference between a shot you take in the regular game and uh, and in the course of a preseason game. But I don't think that's a preseason shot. Like, I think that's what Derek Jones Jr.'s role is going to be. I think this is the Mo Harkless effect. Like, Mo Harkless was a reclamation project. Uh, Derek Jones Jr. was definitely just was a much better basketball player last season in, uh, in Miami than Mo ever was coming over from from Orlando at the time but I think that sort of like hey you're a non-shooter but but go ahead and shoot it and here's where your shots are going to come from I think that sort of empowerment to use a Blazers word is what like is what Stotts and his staff really do well so I'm saying my big takeaway is Derek Jones Jr. is going to set a career high in three-point attempts and three-pointers made um, he's he's going to be he's going to be fun with some obvious highlights. If you listen to the podcast I recorded at the end of last week, the most recent one in your feed, I said I was really just excited about watching him him dunk and watching him do you know do fun basketball things. But I my takeaway from from him is that he there the he he's not going to be this sort of like non shooter. He's he's Mo Harkless with supercharged bounce, like that's his role. Uh, and, and probably a better one-on-one defender than Harkless was. He's, he's really, he's really intriguing for his length. Uh, and, and he's, he's going to get him up. I'm not worried about him shooting threes. We'll talk about him making threes, maybe another point, but just in terms of attempts, um, Derek Jones Jr. Easily career high in attempts and made threes. The other new guy, Robert Covington, he just, he, you know, the preseason is maybe hard to appreciate what Covington is really going to do for the Blazers, which is like sort of up their level of good team defense against elite teams. Like, I think that's where his real value will be. Like, can is having a really heady help defender enough to sort of boost this team against the best teams in the league in the regular season? Playoffs is a whole new beast. We'll talk about that when it's playoff time. I'm just like regular season NBA basketball. Can Covington raise the floor of this team defensively? against the elite offenses, the elite scores, and things like that. Hard to judge that in preseason against the Kings. They don't have one of those players. It's not like they're, you know, guys aren't going to, they're not going to change up who they guard. You just guard who's your who your position is or whatever. There's not um, specific assignments for that type of thing. But Covington looked really smooth in game one. He was one of the few starters. Uh, Terry Stotts did not play most of the starters in the second half of game two, but uh Rocco and Derek Jones Jr. were the starters who played, and Rocco just he he fit really well with the second unit. He he just he's such a valuable complementary part. Um, he doesn't force things, you know. He made threes in in game one. Everybody made threes in game one, but he's 
he just has, I mean, the jury's kind of, my jury's still out. I don't have a big takeaway on him. Like I did like immediately watching Derek Jones Jr. But he just, his ability to be a complimentary part is just so, it's so obvious. He's just such a good, um, he's just out there holding the band down, playing a mean rhythm guitar, just holding, holding the beat, holding the melody, driving the narrative, driving the song forward. Just a fantastic rhythm guitar when the Blazers have a bunch of guys who want to take solos. And that metaphor is a great place to end this segment. Third segment, I want to talk about Carmelo Anthony. He had an amazing game one and and what sort of new bench role Carmelo might bring. And a couple more stray thoughts. Yeah, let's, let's overreact to some preseason games. Let's close out the show doing the same thing. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listening to Locked on Blazers. If you're listening to the show on Monday, it's already here. That's right. The Locked on NBA podcast is previewing every team in the league as part of their massive, I should say our massive, NBA regular season preview. We're going division by division with intel on each team. From the hosts of all the Locked On shows, people who know their teams and follow them closely, experts in the market. No other podcast network can really do this type of thing. It's a lot of fun. It's a great way to get ready for the season, and it's available in your podcast feeds right now. So make sure you subscribe to Locked On NBA wherever you already get podcasts. All right, we talked Harry Giles, new king of Portland. Ted Wheeler move over. There's a new mayor in town, and I'm certain he's more popular. We talked about the new guys. Derek Jones Jr. is 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 going to give us some highlight plays, and I think he's gonna. I think his game is going to evolve here with the Blazers and Robert Covington. He's just he is just a steady complementary part. He is a star at being a role player, and I think we'll. Uh, I think the more we watch him, we'll appreciate more of of what he does. But I want to leave you here, close out the show here with some stray thoughts. First, Carmelo Anthony played a near-perfect game in the opening pre- game of the preseason. He was he came out incredibly hot. He hit you know one-legged post-ups. He hit turnarounds. He hit three-pointers. He made a great pass inside to Harry Giles. He was doing everything, scoring and playmaking and being Carmelo Anthony. He had a great block in transition that led to a Kings turnover when Jabari Parker shoved someone out of the way. He was, Melo was just fantastic. And he wasn't nearly as good in uh, game two. Everyone looks better when the shots go go down. Um, he just, he didn't make his shots in game two. But he's probably not going to average 20 points per game off the bench. Um, boy, would that be something. But he showed why I'm, I like him as a backup so much. Uh, they're just, how many guys, how many teams in the league will have someone who can guard Mello. He can bully undersized fours or if teams try to put a try to put a wing on him, he can bully them in the post. And he's he's not as quick and explosive as he once was, but if you put a traditional big on him, he's just going to take him out to the perimeter and jab step him to death. You know, he's the Blazers have other options in the second unit. Gary Trent Jr. looked really good in game 2. Um Shooting threes. Gary got lost a couple times driving to the rim that were a little a little crazy, but he man, that stroke is really special. Uh he's they've got a lot of offense. And his canter can score on his own. Uh Rodney Hood we'll talk about in a second. Probably provide some individual offense. But 
So every single night they won't need Bello to go off and carry the second unit like they did a little bit last season. But I think you just saw a glimmer of that in the first game that was like, there are going to be nights when the other team just doesn't have the personnel to guard someone with his type of individual offense, the individual just shot creation in the second unit, his strength just to if he gets guys on the left block to score in a couple different ways his ability to take quick pull-up shots uh catch and shoot threes or one dribble one dribble two dribble moves like Mello is he's not gonna have a magic night every night off the bench but he's gonna have a handful this year where it's just like man what an asset uh he's if he accepts this role and he seems really to accept it like it, it's, it seems to be this perfect marriage for the blazers and mellow as a backup four is just is quite a gift sunday also marked the this was game two of the preseason also marked the return of rodney hood to the court a little over a year about about 53 weeks if you're scoring at home after sustaining an achilles injury rodney hood back on the basketball court missed a couple shots early but uh did a his his first bucket his only bucket of the night was vintage Rodney Hood, caught it on the right block, used his size, took a little turnaround where the where the guard on him had a contest, but Hood is his long and has a high release and he just easily uh, hits a turnaround mid range shot. Not a shot that a ton of teams take in the league nowadays, but the Blazers with Mello and Rodney Hood have guys who want that shot and the Blazers um, will allow their players to do what they want to do, allow guys to get to their spots and do score how they score. Uh, there's no real takeaway from Hood other than to say it was really nice to see someone, see him get back on the court. You know, he his body, I think, when he was first getting back into 5-on-5 five five this week just wasn't quite where he wanted it to be, and he didn't play in the second half either. Pretty limited limited first stint, from uh, first little run from Rodney, but really, just a, it's, it's just a really special thing when people who sustain very serious injuries can can get all the way back to the place they want to be so there'll be more important bigger nights for Rodney Hood hopefully in the coming weeks but it was just just to see him back on the court uh gave me some warm fuzzies and I hope it did for you too some other stray thoughts the Blazers offense is going to cook this year. Like they're they are going to, they were third in they were third in the league in offense last year in offense efficiency last year and they're better than they were last year. Like they have more weapons, they have more scores. Gary Trent Jr. is better now than he was for the bulk of last season. Carmelo's in a better role. They've added, I don't know if uh, Derek Trent Jr. is a better scorer, but him and Covington add a different look. They're going to have more Nurk, who's a better offensive player than Son Whiteside. He's maybe not as um, efficient right around the rim, but he does more stuff, opens up more offensive options than Whiteside does. Like this, this team, and I think like Melo having a really big game one and then not having a big game two is what really solidified this for me. If they are, because Dame was just in cruise control in game two. He he took some deep threes and kind of got into his stuff in, in game one. Game two, he didn't, he did not care about that clearly just kind of I, I'll get I I get the ball all the time so I'll get to find my rhythm I'm Damian Lillard these other dudes you know they have to pick their spots um, you know Dame still had a couple pick and roll plays where he's just an absolute maestro and he just commands so much attention and he knows that he's going to command that attention that he just he's just he's a, he's he's really good y'all and but he wasn't trying in um to score on his own in game two. And and the Blazers still at times, the offense was humming. Uh, they didn't play particularly well in the game and they missed a bunch of shots, but I am, I am bullish on this offense. I think this could be the best offense in the league or I th- 
you know, depending on how good Dallas is and how healthy Chris Tapps is, they're obviously, I think they were the most efficient offense in the history of the NBA last year on a points per possession basis. So they're going to be really good again. Uh, it remains to be seen kind of what Brooklyn will look like with Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Durant. But the Blazers are right there in that tier. They could be, they'll be, you know, they might... They might, they might still be third, but this is going to be an awesome. This is going to be a better offensive team than they were last season. We also got uh, f- our first looks at C.J. Ellaby, Blazers' second-round pick and their their lone rookie. Uh, I will note that in a in a press conference or whatever video conference earlier this week, uh, to differentiate between C.J. McCollum and C.J. Ellaby, Terry Stotts referred to C.J. Ellaby as the rook, which uh, I've maybe not heard him do in the past for rookies, but. Uh, that that plan will cut down on name confusion. But the Rook, for me, he looks like really far away. Um, in game one, I thought he did a good job of kind of just deferring. Just He would quickly swing the ball when it came to him. There was one play in the corner where he caught it, and this is just like sort of the difference of NBA basketball. He was pro- he, he kind of dipped with the basketball and then, then decided to shoot, and he needed to just dip and go right into the shot. As soon as the ball dropped down, he needed to be coming up into his shot. He kind of dipped and got into not full-on triple threat, but kind of like moving towards that athletic position and deciding whether he was going to shoot. And we're talking half a second, maybe less. And by then it became a crowded three-point attempt. And I think that's just, it's just the speed of the game. In game two, I thought he looked bad. Uh, He just, they let him play, had him play point guard a little bit. At one point, I don't think he ran the play right away. And Terry Stotts took a timeout to yell at him. He ended up fouling out. The box score stuff doesn't matter, but he just, like a lot of dudes who were um, who are second round picks and played two years of college basketball, he doesn't look ready to play in the NBA. The Blazers don't plan on him playing this year. It's not a big deal. But uh, for me, CJ McCollum, or excuse me, uh oh, the Rook, CJ Ellaby, he looks pretty far away from being an NBA contributor. Other little news, Anthony Simons, he did not play in the second half after game one with a hamstring injury, and he did not play at all in game two. Uh, The Blazers have been strange with how they've given injury information in preseason. Other NBA teams, just to be clear, are giving full injury reports. Even if it's preseason, they're they're treating the games um, like with with full injury disclosure. The Blazers haven't done that, uh, which it really only means that there wasn't um, like a pre- there wasn't a pr- sort of like a pr- pre-notice that Ant wasn't going to play. He didn't know until Terry spoke pre-game to reporters. The Blazers have two preseason games remaining. They play at Denver on Wednesday and then on Friday. Obviously, we'll talk about those uh, games on the pod this week. And then we're just, we're days away. This is the last week of preseason. The regular season starts a week from this coming Wednesday on December 23rd. So, if I don't think the Blazers, I think the Blazers will treat Game Four a lot like they treated tonight, where they will not play their main guys in the second half. They'll play, um, you know, extended bench minutes. So if there is going to be sort of a regular run where we get a sense of what the uh, rotation will be like, and I don't think we'll get four quarters of that, mind you, but I think we could get three quarters of regular rotation before sort of a, an extended bench run to close out the game. It'll happen on Wednesday night. Uh, for whatever that means, I think Wednesday will be the most, I don't know if it's the most important preseason game because I think none of them are important. They're equ- they're all equally unimportant, but the most, perhaps the most telling game will come this week. Obviously, we'll talk about that right here on this very podcast. Like I said at the top of this segment, we got Mailbag Monday coming this week. So uh, if you're listening to this Sunday, late Sunday evening or on Monday, 
Tweet at me at Mike G. Rich or send me an email, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com to get involved in our weekly mailbag show. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already listen to podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers. It'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.